This is the Education Gadfly Show. Did I just say Omaha? That's Omaha's in Nebraska. That's, in Nebraska. that's so embarrassing. You're from the Midwest, too. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, Stephen Pischetti of Education Reform, Alyssa Schwenk. Thank you, Mike. I just Googled him. As you know, I'm not a baseball person. Yes. He's apparently a baseball dude. He is a baseball dude who hit a grand slam for the beloved St. Louis Cardinals on Friday night. And my family was there <laughs> to watch it. We are big St. Louis Cardinals fans. They were playing the Nationals. And then a few days later, one of the Nats, Jason Worth, ends up hitting a Grand Slam. Grand Slam's all over the place. This is very unusual. I'll have to take your word for it. My ex- knowledge of baseball games is kind of limited to the food served in the stadium. Which has gotten a lot better it than it used to, I have really to say. Good. I have to say it is expensive, but, uh, but still. I'd rather it be expensive and good than expensive and bad, which is what it used to be. Oh, yeah. So, it's- yeah. Definitely on an upswing there. There we go. So, wow, what a week in education reform. We are, of course, going to talk about the uh, the family feud. I have taken to mm-hmm. calling it the family feud. Nobody else seems to be. I'm thinking about having a hashtag on Twitter. Hashtag about family that. feud. Hashtag family feud. Would that be okay? Uh, I'm not. Or does that make that too light That makes me of think it? of the game show family yeah. feud, which I don't think we're playing a game show here. But I yeah. will say the reaction to Robert's piece has been... You know, definitely out of the park. And it's been so the spectrum of who's weighing in and where yeah. people are coming from. I'm still seeing pieces come up and mm. people weighing yeah. in from different corners. So a, a certainly later. if there was yeah. a way to track all of them, mm. uh, Chalkbeat has a good rundown. Um, yep. But yep, they help. keep coming. They keep coming. We'll dig into that and the other news of mm. the week. So, Clara, let's get started. Let's play Pardon the Gadfly. All right. Robert sparked a huge debate about diversity in the education reform movement last week with the Gadfly article arguing that some on the left are trying to push conservatives out of the coalition. How should ed reform move forward? In peace. Uh, well, kumbaya, Alyssa. Very well. Very nice. Now, that, that, look, that is absolutely true. I mean, first of all, let's all take a deep breath uh, and let's try to listen to one another, right? These basic rules about how to get along. Let's uh, try not to call one uh, each other names. And, you know, look, I think that some people feel like Robert uh, may have called them names. He used the term social justice warrior, which, look, some people on the left uh, embrace that term. Uh, other people have not. I mean, Josh Starr used to, to embrace that term. Others do not. I found that there's some people who just simply, you know, that I thought were okay now with the term liberals who aren't okay with being called a liberal. Maybe we just have to have uh, a basically no labels policy from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that as useful as they may be in shorthand, I think it does distort things. Uh, but okay, so we listen to each other. We try to understand where we're coming from. Uh, Alyssa, I, I'm curious, you know, you're you're of, of the millennial generation. Uh, and I think I get the up. sense that uh, you millennials see these issues differently, perhaps, than we do. I mean, how how can we at one? I mean, we, we want to make the movement more diverse. We want to welcome in right. uh, more people of color. Uh, and uh, I've heard, seen on some of the reactions, many people of color saying, look, if you want us in the room, that's great. Uh, we want to be here. But then, you know, you got to listen to what we have to say. And if we want to talk about structural inequality and we want to talk about racism, we would talk, we'd talk about the Black Lives Matter. Uh, you got to let us say it. Mm-hmm. All true. You know, but what if we don't agree on things like the Black Lives Matter movement? I mean, is is it 
useful to have those conversations or or should we just try to stay focused on what we agree on instead of what we disagree about? Right. I mean, it's certainly uh, Robert's piece, I think, provoked a reaction is kind of an understatement um, for what's happened. But certainly, I think there are several issues to unpack. And the first is, I think that representation does matter. And I think that has been made clear. You've been clear. Robert's been clear. A lot of people have kind of unpacked this issue of what does representation mean? Is it of, you know, different ethnicities of different backgrounds? Is it of different political beliefs? Certainly the thing that I think nobody wants to have happen is for the conversation to shut down entirely. Creating echo chambers isn't going to help build Mm -hmm. these bridges, isn't going to help create actual change for kids. Um, The Ed Reform Coalition has kind of been an uneasy one for the last, at least as long as I've been in it. You've got people on the left, Democrats for Education Reform, who are breaking with the traditional left of the teachers unions. Mm -hmm. You have people on the right who are kind of, you know, more market-based theorists and like together You know, there are issues like charter schools, high standards that we've been able to forge connections around. And I think as we kind of go through this process of debating different things, I think it's good that people are forced to, on all sides, kind of deal with uncomfortable issues. I think that's a good conversation to have. And I think it's important as we go through this to keep the end goals in mind, which are, no matter what perspective you're coming from, better educations for kids. No, that's right. And and look, I mean, I'm still struggling to figure out where I land on this. I mean... Mm -hmm. Here's the issue. You know, there, there was the New Schools Venture Fund Summit. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there, uh, but I understand, you know, there was a lot of talk about movements like the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matters movement. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, of course, Black Lives Matters. I don't agree, though, with the movement itself. Some of the tactics they've taken, I think police lives matter. That message appeals to me. So here's an issue where mm-hmm. I'm going to disagree with some people mm-hmm. on the left about, you know, some of these broader issues around mm-hmm. race and, and police and et cetera, et cetera, which is OK, because we are not in the police reform movement. Right. We are in the education reform movement. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, now we can, you know, so one option is, hey, we talk about those issues and we agree to disagree. And if I have to listen to some people talk about something I disagree with, hey, it's not the end of the day. I can handle it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, same things happen on the flip side. Some of us have raised issues about family breakdown, single parent families. To me, that's obviously an irrelevant, uh, you know, it just seems crystal clear to me that that's a relevant issue for education reformers to mm-hmm. talk about. That offended a lot of people on the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, made it feel like I was shaming single parents or that I was being judgmental or that I was, mm-hmm. you know, um, and uh, or blaming the victim or, you know, whatever you want to. Right. So so one option is to say, OK, if we're going to have an education reform conference, mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about Black Lives Matter and we're, and we're not going to talk about single parent families. We're going to only talk about charter schools and standards and the core education issues we agree on. But then that starts to feel like what we're at one of these college campuses trying to create safe spaces and, you know, not allowing mm-hmm. the free expression of debate. I, I just to me, that just doesn't feel like a great outcome. No. And I think, again, I think discomfort is good. I think conversation is good. And I think it was Darrell Bradford's piece uh, earlier this week that kind of talked about it's a markets with equity um, perspective and how different frames need to take into account Mm -hmm. the different perspectives other people are coming from. I know certainly as a millennial, as Mm -hmm. you put it, and as a Teach for America alumna and a lot of kind of the social the left movement is coming kind Mm -hmm. of from this Teach for America Mm -hmm. alumni community, which I'm a pretty active part in D.C., full disclosure, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think context matters. And I think you've been trying to get to that point as well. And depends on which context we wait more. But I think those contexts do matter. And certainly, I think just focusing on let's build this great charter school Mm -hmm. won't get us to that place where we all want to get for kids, which is like, let's make sure that all kids are receiving a fantastic education, that they're getting the opportunities to choose between college and career, to choose the paths that work best for them. 
So All right. Good. In peace. Good. In peace. And let's keep the coalition together. And uh, and I, I'll be weighing in more on this and writing about, uh, in a sense, uh, the, the argument against the divorce of the education reform movement, that uh, we are stronger together, the center mm-hmm. left and center right, uh, than trying to go to our own camps and corners. Okay. Topic number two. The education department released its draft regulations last week on many key provisions, including the law's accountability requirements. Thumbs up, thumbs down, or somewhere in between. I just saw Alyssa reading all 190 pages. (laughs) All 190 pages. Control effing all the way through. I... Sometimes I think there should be a word limit. I just, I do. Yeah, yeah. Now it's, it's it's a fair question. Hey, but the accountability pieces, at least in terms of how state accountability systems, state rating systems have to work, is not the entire 192 Mm-mm. pages. And you ready for this? You're going to be shocked. I give it a thumbs down. Shocker, Siskel. Uh, Shocker. Yeah, I certainly think it's a very mixed bag. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let me explain some of my concerns. Okay. So there were a couple of things I was hoping for here. Some of these are ideas that came out of our ESSA accountability design competition mm-hmm. back in February. Some of them relate to our interest at Fordham and making sure that this law does a better job than No Child Left Behind did mm-hmm. and encouraging schools to pay attention to all kids, including high achieving kids, especially in high poverty schools, right? No more mm-hmm. of the bubble kids thing. Well, the law talked about in the first indicator that they have to include in accountability systems, academic achievement. The law mentions proficiency. I was hoping the department would come out and say, look, you can go beyond that. You can look at other performance levels. You can do an index. You can look at scale scores. Nothing. Zippo. So I worry that means we're back to looking at just one cut score, proficiency, and bubble kids all over again. Other thing, they decided that there does have to be a summative rating, right? That you, uh, you can't just have, say, you can't have one grade for academic achievement, another grade for academic growth, another grade for ELL kids, and a fourth grade for another indicators of student success, which I think parents can handle four grades. We, we do that on report cards all the time, you know, more than one grade. It's not like you smush uh, the kids' uh, ELA and math and history and science and art and music grades all into one. You know, oh, Johnny, you got a B minus. You'd say, well, from what class? And yet we do that for schools. That was not necessary. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing is I really think they closed the door significantly on the other indicators of student success. That was my thing that I all wanted right, to talk ahead, about. go ahead, go ahead. No, it's no, fine. No, no, I'm <laughs> hogging, I'm hogging. So tell me, what, no, what do you want to talk about? Uh, certainly, I think they could have done more on other indicators. The way that I'm reading the regulations, it's those will essentially be overlooked by schools. It'll be back to this focus on math and English scores. And why do you say that? Because it seems like those were just very overlooked from right. my perspective. So what, what, what the, my concern is a couple of things. One is they said that these other indicators, again, mm-hmm. keep in mind, this was supposed to be the ability finally for states to look at things other than test scores. Mm-hmm. Test scores still matter the most, but to look at other things. But in the regs, they say, well, these other things, you have to show that there's research that these other indicators are related to student achievement. Now, at first blush, you say, well, it doesn't seem so bad. But then you back up and say, well, wait a minute. What if you want to, for example, measure the, how high schools do in contributing to civic preparedness? Mm-hmm. Whether maybe, or not their kids can vote. Yeah, go maybe actually see how many of your graduates vote. That would be, I think that'd be kind mm-hmm. of a cool indicator, right? It has nothing to do with student achievement, but it has something to do with an important purpose of the public schools. Mm-hmm. Under these regs, as I read it, that would not be allowed. And I'm saying, first of all, I don't, I don't think Congress, I mean, where'd that come mm-hmm. from? That came out of left field. Uh, so I think that that's an issue. The other thing is that for schools that are really at risk of interventions, either because they're the lowest performing in the state mm-hmm. or they have low performing subgroups, this thing basically says, well, you know, the other indicators of student success can't get you off the intervention. Mm-hmm. So in other words, for any basically high poverty school at risk of being on those lists, it don't matter at all. Right. That's yeah, a problem. 
So my question though, are you surprised with what was in the regs? Am I surprised? I, I was hoping that they would listen on a couple of these issues, like the proficiency point. That's kind of wonky, but mm-hmm. but you know, important technocratic. I didn't think that would be a hard one. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they didn't get my email. And maybe it got lost. <laughs> it got lost in the, the mail. Government Alyssa. servers. Uh, I will try again. You know, this other indicators of student success. What I'm surprised about is that we haven't heard more of an outcry from the educator groups. Yeah, um, that one seemed to be one of those I mean, things that, at least from the asset design competition, people yeah. were really jazzed about. Oh yeah, and and again, maybe you know, maybe I'm reading this wrong, or they, but it just seems to me that uh, this stuff that the unions and others push for very heavily just got thrown out the window. And I'm surprised they're not screaming bloody murder about that. And what's next for the regs? What's next from for the regs? a cynic's is, perspective? Yes, a, a, oh, it is a it's like how a bill becomes yes, a law. Exactly, it's a public comment period for sixty days. So get your public comments in. They probably won't read them because they sure didn't read mine last time. We'll check the email server. All right. Well, they they will have to read them and respond, and then they'll ignore them and they'll do what they want to do. And uh, we'll see if these regs uh, get redone when we have a new president. Topic number three. Kansas State's school funding debacle continues to grow with the standoff between the legislature and the courts. What are the lessons for school finance reform nationwide? <laughs> First of all, my God, I mean, they're talking it's about how they're crazy. not going to be able to start school in the fall. I mean, I so I went to college in Philly and we had every single year kind of this standoff and we'd have these two weeks of like, will schools open on time? Will yeah. teachers have any supplies? And they always open. Here, here's what I find fascinating about Kansas. And I don't, I think it is fairly unique in this regard, but uh, there may be a few other states like it. Mm-hmm. They have had a system where uh, uh, from the cause of equity, they have basically told local school districts, you have a cap on how much you are allowed to tax yourself. Okay. So let me repeat. If you are an affluent suburb mm-hmm. of Kansas city or Omaha, let's okay. say Overland Omaha. Park. Did I just say Omaha? That's Omaha's in Nebraska. In, that's in Nebraska. That's so embarrassing. You're from the Midwest I know. too. I can't believe I said, I meant Wichita. I meant Wichita. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right. We'll go with Overland Park <sighs> in Kansas. My gosh. That was really, really bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like uh, when I was doing public radio in Seattle and I called it uh, Spokane instead of Spokane. <laughs> Yes, bad, bad. Okay, but I did. <laughs> All right. So in these affluent suburbs, in most parts of the country, these suburbs, you know, they they get less money from the state because they're wealthy. But then if mm-hmm. they want to raise their own taxes and and spend, you know, wazoo's full of money, they can do so. Right. Mm-hmm. In Kansas, they have a law that says you you we're not going to allow you to spend more than X amount, even if you want to, on your own school, mm-hmm. because that's a way to keep things more equitable. And a lot of reformers would say, oh, that's good. That's a way to make sure that there there's not as big discrepancies between these affluent suburbs and these other places. What's interesting now is in the coverage that I've seen in Kansas, not surprisingly, you hear from the parents in those affluent suburbs are going crazy because their schools, they say, don't have enough money. And again, the theory here is that that's going to lead those plugged in parents to push for greater school funding uh, for the whole state because that's the only way they're going to get more money for their own schools. You've Mm -hmm. now tethered the interests of those parents to the needs of all of the kids in the state. Question we'll have to see is whether that that strategy works and whether in this current standoff, uh, those parents are able to get the state of Kansas to cough up a lot more money, mm-hmm. even though just a little bit of that money is going to go to their schools. Yeah, I mean, Kansas is certainly an interesting um, question. They've had just in terms of state structural finances, like they've gone through a lot of changes over the last like six years in the way that just state funding for services works yeah. in general. Well, well the and governor's so, been budget cutting like crazy. Budget right? cutting like crazy, yeah. right. And so I and think tax- this, I think at this point though, like going to parents in affluent districts and cutting the spending there, like that is a politically tough thing to do. Right. And just, now, so I guess mm-hmm. what, what we'll have to see is whether their law changes or whether they find a way mm-hmm. to change the law so that, for example, makes it easier mm-hmm. for these affluent districts to just raise their own property tax. 
taxes. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this is how it works in most states, mm-hmm. um, but it's not. Any lessons for any other states with Pennsylvania has some well, funding issues? Illinois has got I, some happening I, right now. I just think it's it's going to be interesting to watch. I think uh, I, I am convinced that that we're going to see another wave of lawsuits and other uh, actions now in school finance. Now that the states mm-hmm. in general have more money to spend, um, I think it's hard to defend the inequities that are out there. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really, really hard. This stuff is tough. Uh, and uh, a lot of us would love to see a weighted student funding system where, you know, it's very clean. The money follows the kid to the school of their choice. You know, needy kids get more money. I just think uh, it's it's hard to figure out how to get from here to there. It certainly is. Okay. So to be continued. To be continued. But another time because we went long on all of those segments. <laughs> now time for everybody's favorite, Amber's, Amber's Research, Research Minute. Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. So you've been, have you been trying to keep up on this debate that's happened over the last week? Have you res- read all 25 responses? I have read it. Wow, we stirred it's a pot, didn't we? certainly a stirred we pot. did it. We Robert did, did it this time. Yes, he sure he did. did. A hornet's nest. No, but look, but you know, as many people have said, when, when they get this kind of reaction, it's because this conversation needed to happen. You know, or, the, you know, he, he lit the fuse, but, you know, the fire only burns if there's fuel. That's so there right. it is. And we will find our way back. We will figure this out. We will figure this out. Okay, what you got for us? We've got a new study out by West Ed. It examines the validity of ratings from a very popular classroom observation instrument that's often used in teacher evaluation systems. You guys know what it is? Uh, Lucy, uh, what's her name? Not Lucy, Lucy Calkins. Calkins. No, the other one. Uh, Charlotte I'm Danielson, Charlotte Danielson. people. Oh, yes. Look at Charlotte Danielson's framework for teaching, yes. which seems to be like the, the go-to, right? It's a small study, so we got to remember that. Uh, just one school district, okay? Mm-hmm. But it's Washoe County. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we love Washoe County. <laughs> we, we love Washoe County. We have studied Washoe County. We've studied Washoe. They yeah. are a big Common Core implementing district. So anyway, yep. uh, in Reno, 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 Reno Nevada. Yep. Uh, the purpose is to see whether the ratings differentiate among teachers, whether they actually measure distinct areas of teaching practice, and whether they link to teacher effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Very important questions, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, it covers 713 Washoe elementary, middle, and high school teachers, both tenured and non-tenured. Mm-hmm. They were observed on 22, I forgot how long this thing was, 22 components the observation Whoa. instrument has. Uh, for the 2012-2013 school year, so just one year, it covers four domains, planning and preparation, classroom environment, instruction, and professional responsibility. Uh, domains have five to six components that roll up into one four-point rating for each domain, ranges from ineffective to highly effective rating. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bottom line rating. I mean, bottom line findings. Number one, ratings showed at least, wait for it, 90% of teachers were rated effective or highly effective mm-hmm. on nearly every one of the 22 components. You get a star and you get a star. Hey, and Reno's got star. some great, <laughs> great teachers. teachers. Yes. Uh, effective is typically the most common rating. Computing the average of all 22 components, 85% of teachers were rated effective or higher. So principals, and we've seen this in other studies. Matter of fact, one I just did a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Principals and observers tend to discriminate at the top, right? Between mm-hmm. effective or highly effective, mm-hmm. but they're not distinct. They're not using the full range um, of mm-hmm. their ratings most often. Uh, mm-hmm. Second, they found that within each domain, principals were consistent in their scoring. So teachers who received a high rating for one component tended to receive a high rating for the others mm-hmm. too. 
Mm-hmm. And then they did this thing uh, called a confirmatory factor analysis. And some <laughs> people actually know what that is who are listening, mm-hmm. uh, where they're trying to actually see whether these domains are measuring distinct aspects of teaching mm-hmm. or not. And they mm-hmm. found that they're basically, whatever it is, they're measuring a single dimension because mm-hmm. they're all correlating. So they recommend that the district use a single rating. After all this, just use a single rating. In other words, you don't have to look at all 22. That's right. You can shorten the form. That's right. Um, Or you can not have as many ratings for each domain. Okay. Okay. Remember, there's four four. domains. Uh, Finally, for a subset of teachers who taught grades four through eight, the correlation, because it was just correlation study, showed a statistically significant positive relationship between observation scores and student growth. But again, really small. This there's only looked at one year, right? It was the mm. kids who had been there the year before. It was only in grades four through eight. It's only one district, and there are not a lot of details on this in the study, which kind of was annoying for me. Mm. Um, but they, so these aren't terribly rigorous methods, and they're not longitudinal. But anyway, they found a relationship nonetheless. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sitting there thinking, okay, well, what do we make of this? Um, so they go, they start the study by saying. We want to use that. This is they did a bunch of interviews mm-hmm. with principals. They want to use it for identifying areas of professional development, mm-hmm. ratings in their teacher evaluation state system, performance bonus bonuses, and teacher and retention decisions. Right? They're loading all lot. of that, and we've heard like like yeah. how many thing, how many purposes is an evaluation instrument really valid for? Mm-hmm. Right? So great that they did the study. <laughs> um, so I mean, think about okay, what did they find? So they basically found, like you said, Mike, mm-hmm. it's a really lengthy instrument. They could be made a lot simpler for mm-hmm. rating purposes. Uh, principles don't distinguish among the components. So it's not a great tool for identifying PD needs, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody's doing great Everyone's on every component. Like How do you know where they need help? Right. Um, and finally, the outcome analysis is really thin. I mean, it's just not that robust. Mm-hmm. So identifying teachers for retention, termination, or pay, it doesn't really inspire much confidence for that. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's one study. I'm glad they did it. It's a really mm-hmm. popular instrument. Mm-hmm. We need, I know we hate it. We need more research mm-hmm. on it. Uh, but at the end of the day, like it's enlightening, right? Yeah. It was measuring one thing. Principles still aren't distinguishing among these areas yep. mm-hmm. and it's way too complicated hey by the way wouldn't jay green say look if if the observations are giving you the same results as the value added is giving you then why bother with the observations why right. not just look at value added well i know but it also makes teachers feel better no, right no, when no, real no, no. people I, I are in their class I, I have this idea for study amber uh, okay. which is similar but at the school level what about in countries that have school inspections mm, wouldn't it be interesting to know if there's a relationship between the findings from the school inspections and value added sure. for the school. Yeah. Right. Um, or, you know, are they, and, and it's not necessarily that you would expect it to be perfect because again, the, the idea of a school inspection is you're looking more holistically at, mm-hmm. including at some stuff that may not be uh, directly related to student achievement right. and that's or okay. Teachers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would be because curious be, to know. I mean, at least the one that we know, the UK one is looking at, you know, principal and leadership mm-hmm. and administration. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty comprehensive. The teaching component is yeah. pretty small piece of it. So, yeah. I don't know whether they could break it down and just you know, look at that particular mm. teaching piece, but yeah, or yeah if there's a relationship between yeah. having strength and all of those other things, yeah. and then strength. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, I mean, maybe right. And you've said something similar yeah. before. If they weren't going to use this for yeah. evaluation purpose, if they just said it's for PD, right? Mm-hmm. You wonder whether you wouldn't have seen more of a distinction mm-hmm. among those mm-hmm. ratings, right? Mm-hmm. But once you kind of twist it and and define mm-hmm. what it's going to be right. used for, it and, begins to right. look real the different. Principal starts by saying. Okay, how do I want this to add? What I want this to add up to, because I don't want to piss off this teacher because I'm not right. going to actually go through the not hassle of firing it. her. 
I wonder what Charlotte thinks about, you know, I, I think her, her instrument has already changed some since then. It's been mm. tweaked to be more common core aligned, I believe. Mm. But I wonder uh, if she's open to this notion of it getting shorter. That certainly oh, seems to be a finding that many principals And would I don't know whether she really wants it to be used in the ways that well, Washoe I think she was probably putting does not. I mean, again, I think it's always, at least when I was teaching, because it was, it was being used back yeah. in the day too, yeah. um, at least the early version of it. Um, it, was, it really was supposed to be more about PD. Yeah. yeah. And so. I think that is something that is definitely needed. You know, you hear mm-hmm. all of, you see all of these studies and as a former teacher whose PD was never aligned to what she actually needed, like mm-hmm. having a way for that to be measured and aggregated mm-hmm. and like actually. Did they use the Danielson on, were you observed? No, 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 I wasn't okay. observed. That was a okay, whole nother issue. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But to just have a way that, you know, what is actually happening in the classroom can be reflected and, you know, fed back into what you're being professionally developed on, I think is Mm -hmm. gratifying and also good for the kids and good for the profession. Okay. Good stuff. Hey, I'm glad at least we're trying to evaluate these things and, uh, and, and get them better. Of course, I fear I'm like, other than the, Many, many people that listen to the research minute so here, many. Amber, right? I wonder of the, you know, thousands of schools out there using the Danielson method, whether they have any idea that this study's right. out there. Right. Or even kind of care, right? Because people love it. They really like Like the instrument, well, you like it because it is so comprehensive and you feel like, oh, they're yeah. looking holistically. Mm-hmm. They're not just looking yeah. at this one thing. Yep. So, you know, and, and then you've got the back thing, like a principal's really busy. He's got 22 things, right? right? Like yeah. you can just see him going, check, 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 check. For 17, yep. 20 yeah. teachers. Yeah. All right, good. Well, until next week. I'm Alyssa Schwing. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.